Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. My show across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. All right. Uh, we we got to begin here. The World Economic Forum in Davos has begun their meetings. I saw CNBC. They got their crowd uh, hanging out at Davos right now uh, in the snow. Switzerland is beautiful, and this time of year, you can go skiing. The chocolate's fantastic. The yodeling, phenomenal. I've been to Switzerland. So they go to Davos. Klaus Schwab, no relation to Charles, uh, has started uh, the World Economic Forum, and it's a bunch of uh, governmental bureaucrats and Fortune 500 and major world billionaires and conglomerates. They get together. They they give the World Economic Forum a ton of money, and in exchange, they get access to the most powerful people on the planet, presidents of the United States, prime ministers, kings and queens, uh, leading scholars, businessmen, and geniuses, and they all get to hobnob together away from the hoi polloi, away from uh, your average person. Now, there are a lot of conspiracies and a lot of conspiracy theories about Davos. I would note that uh, people of a certain age email me, and they are very, uh, of a certain age and persuasion, very keen on the one world order, the one world government. They're back in the day, there was this belief that George H.W. Bush, he had been uh, ambassador to China, CIA director, RNC chairman, vice president and president, that George H.W. Bush wanted a one world government, a one world order. And uh, George H.W. Bush was going to give us all that. He was he was part of this globalist corporatist conspiracy. And uh, there are still people who believe we're on the verge of one world order. Uh, thanks to Glenn Beck and others, uh, we're now on the Great Reset. I would point out the only reason you know about the Great Reset is because these people have like gotten on a stage and told you that's what they want. There's no conspiracy here. This is the, the kind of the dumb genius of Davos is they get on stage and tell you what they want. They film all of it. There are lots of private conversations behind the scenes, wheeling and dealing, hobnobbing with the rich and the elite, but they get on stage and they're very open and honest about the way they want this stuff. Like, for example, one of the Davos speakers, they're having this conversation about global warming and the need to deal with climate change. And uh, th this woman from Europe gets on stage and says, essentially, we, we don't need growth or development. I mean, listen to this two-way conversation on stage. Happened over uh, this morning in Davos. It was the afternoon in Switzerland, morning our time. The end is the same. The end is we have to save this planet to save our freedom and the way we are living. And we are not good enough yet. We have to improve. Thank you. Nicole. So, um, well, I feel that you were talking about the word development. I think, indeed, we don't need, like, 
growth or development, I really think less is more. And I'll leave it at that. Less is more. I'll leave it at that. She doesn't want to be controversial and say what she believes that we don't need global economic development. She's with a, a guy from the third world who says we got to save the planet so we can grow and develop and, and have more freedom. And white woman from Europe's like, <laughs> You ain't going to develop, buddy. We're going to make sure of it to save the planet. You're not allowed to develop. It is, I mean, for all of these left-wing people who get upset about colonialism, the colonialists are meeting in Davos right now. It's a bunch of rich white people who bring in uh, their non-white counterparts from around the world to head-pat them. It is the definition of colonialism that the left hates, but they love Davos. Because they're all in the cult of climate change. And in fact, the bulk of the conversation here that they're having in Davos is about saving the planet. Now, there's a problem here. Listen, um, I've had a lot of people over the last uh, 96 hours or so, longer than that, going back to the beginning of last week, get very upset with the idea of Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, going to Davos as if he was going to come back a clone lizard man. They'd kill off the real Brian Kemp, clone him into a lizard, and bring him back to exercise one world government dominion over all of us. There is this unhealthy uh, craziness on the right that if you go to Davos, you've got to be a globalist. You must be a corporatist. We can't trust you. You're going to come back somehow corrupted. And I I think that's as nonsense as a lot of the one world order stuff, not because they don't want the one world order, not because they don't want to corrupt you, but the whole reason Davos exists is as a self-help group for a bunch of failed elitists who've been trying to exercise public policy beyond technocrats and experts, and they can't do it because of you, because of the rubes of democracy. Because when the people at Davos come out and say, well, we, we must end development and we, we, must, we must have no growth strategy. And in fact, we must exercise policies whereby the people in rural areas of the country are forced to move into urban areas and give up their cars for public transportation. You get pissed off and you go vote against them and they lose. They, they don't like democracy. They certainly don't like American democracy. In European governments, they can get away with it more because the Europeans have gotten used to being dictated to by their governments. I mean, in Europe, they have kings and queens, for God's sake. They may be mostly impotent, powerless people, but these are people who are used to being ruled over in this country. What are we? A government of the people, for the people, by the people. And it makes it really frustrating for these people at Davos because they can't get their way as long as we are supreme, which is why, by the way, they have flirted for a very long time with the Chinese. And had the Chinese not done to Hong Kong what they did, the Chinese would not be in the predicament they're in. I don't know if you've seen this. The Chinese population will fall by 45% over the next several decades. The birth rate in China has gone down so much, the Chinese are going to be wiped out of their own accord over the next 100 years specifically. The Chinese made all of the wrong decisions. And now they're imposing their decisions by force of law And this is part of the problem. In Davos, these people are European elites. They don't like the Russians, what they're doing with Ukraine. And they were happy to have the Chinese in bed with them. But it's very clear that President Xi of China is more Maoist than they thought. 
and they can't make money off of President Xi. One of the things you have to understand about the Chinese and how it's related to all of this is that for the longest time, the Chinese government philosophically was allowed to have capitalism work so long as the communists maintain control. You could have capitalism with communist controls. The problem is that too many of the capitalists in China got wealthier than the Chinese government wanted them to be. And they could exercise their own clout. They could drop money through bribes and acquisitions and the like. And they could completely reshape Chinese fabric of society through their money. President Xi has had enough of this. He's begun arresting these people, confiscating their money. So suddenly the billionaires at Davos realize, oh, we can't actually do to China what we wanted to do. They will arrest us. So now they've got to come back to flirting with the West and with the United States. And here in the United States, well... You don't have a bunch of secular atheists in the United States. You still have a church people. Now, the rate of people going to church is in decline. The rate of people who believe things by faith related to God and Christ is in decline. But you still have a lot of those people, and it's still a majority of people. And in fact, the lower you go down the economic rung, as their power has increased in the voter pool, they're more likely to be people of faith, and these secular elitists in Davos hate them. So Davos has become the self-help group for the secular elite who, if only we would listen to them, the world would have peace and prosperity. It comes from a very old idea. It comes really from the uh, Woodrow Wilson School of Thought with the League of Nations into the United Nations that if only we could all sit down and have conversations and get to know each other globally that we could have peaceful trade existence. See, globalism is a pejorative on the right these days, but if you got an iPhone, you benefit from globalism. If, if you got a car, you benefit from globalism. Global trade isn't a bad thing. It has brought the price of things down and certainly it has shaken up economies. We don't have the industrial base in this country we once did. We made fundamental mistakes of investing so much in China and concentrating our uh, global infrastructure development to China, which we should not have done. We're only just now figuring this out and getting it back. But global trade, one of the major theories of world power has long been global trade brings peace. The problem is it's not really all that true. Global trade among Western democratic powers who have democracies does bring peace. Global trade with Iran, Cuba, Venezuela, China doesn't really bring peace. And these people in Davos are too arrogant to realize that. So they make the same mistakes over and over again. They bring people to Davos to speak like the Aspen Institute and the like. They, they, it's these rich people who pay people to come speak to them and tell them what they want to hear. And occasionally, they wind up bringing in a turd of the punch bowl. Like, for example, they brought Brian Kemp to Davos, the governor of Georgia. And when you look at the people he's speaking with, all of them were fairly anti-Trump. He's speaking with a bunch of moderate Republicans and Kristen Sinema. They... This is part of the problem with the global elite in a place like Davos. They, they, they try to put people into very binary categories in a way that they condemn you for doing. They do. Donald Trump didn't like Brian Kemp, found an opponent against Brian Kemp, and lost. Therefore, Brian Kemp must be one of us. Instead, they're going to find out Brian Kemp is actually a, a conservative who thinks for himself. 
and they won't hear from him what they expect to hear. They will hear George is open for business and that George is willing to have uh, the Fortune 500 and, and global trade coming to Georgia, but also he's a Georgia firster. Brian Kemp has prioritized growing existing Georgia businesses, uh, not bringing in outside companies, and he's going to tell them that. He, he's going to focus on, focus on local, grow local. These are the things they don't want to hear, and they're going to hear it from him. It's the sort of message they need to hear. All I would tell you is don't get worked up by these people. The whole reason Davos still exists and is going on is because these rich people like to be surrounded by other rich people in a self-help society to tell themselves that they're they're gorgeous and wonderful and right and rich. And if only those hicks and rubes in democratic countries would just listen to them and implement what they want. And as long as those hicks and rubes in democratic countries around the world are not implementing what they want, they continue to have the circle of jerks meeting in Davos to console themselves. In other words, the reason Davos exists is not because of the global conspiracy to reset the world order. It exists because they have failed to figure out how to reset the world order. They have failed to create their one world government. And now they go and console each other that they were right all along and justify their existence while the rest of us just keep moving on, minding our own business and ignoring the global elite who tell us we have to save the planet while they're flying their private jets. The weather outside might be frightful, but in your bed, you've got super soft bowl and branch sheets to sleep under. They'll keep you comfortable. They're just the perfect weight. Summer, winter, fall, spring, the perfect weight, and they get softer every wash. And right now, with the weather so cold outside, you want to just be snuggled up inside. They're the perfect sheets under which you and your loved one can snuggle. And right now, you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlinBranch.com. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L. Andbranch.com. The promo code is Eric, E R I C K. Bullet Branch sheets are the perfect 100% organic cotton threads that get softer every wash. Not only do they get softer every wash, but they the drape across your body is just perfect. I really enjoy mine. We've got them now on multiple beds in the house. We've just kept buying them because they're so soft. And every wash, they get softer. And right now, get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code ERIC. Uh, I got to deal with some breaking news out of my home state because this is, this is actually, um, gosh, this is really big news. Um, most of my affiliates, not all of them are in Georgia. This is something Stacey Abrams would not have done and did not propose. Interestingly enough, it comes from a Democrat, uh, announcing this, um, the governor, so Georgia has a HOPE scholarship. The HOPE scholarship, uh, it was designed to fund the cost of college for kids who made a B and above. And it ultimately couldn't sustain itself because the there's so many kids were getting into college and they had good grades through great inflation or the like, uh, there just wasn't enough money. And so they created what's called the Zell Miller Scholarship where if you're the valedictorian or the salutatorian at your school, you get 100% full ride. And then the HOPE scholarship uh, now pays for a percentage of tuition. Governor Kemp in Georgia is announcing in his budget proposal that he wants HOPE scholarships and grants to go back to covering 100% of tuition at Georgia public higher education institutions. 
that uh, that's what he wants to do with the budget surplus coming into the state, uh, that some of it was given back to taxpayers and some of it he wants parents to not have to cover their kids' educational costs when they go to higher education. That's profoundly big news in my state that this would happen. Ironically, he's making the presentation via satellite from Davos today to the state legislature. Now, that gets me back to Davos. Um, I, I, there are a couple of things I want you to keep in mind because I'm mindful during during commercial break, checking emails, some people very upset that I'm too dismissive of their concerns. They tell you what they want to do. And here's what you've got to keep in mind. Rich people, since time immemorial, have gotten together to plot out the way they want the world to work. This is nothing new. But this group, unlike so many of the prior groups, is really open and transparent about it. And they tell you that they want to get all these great minds together to shape the world. I've been to meetings like this, and I just the reason I'm dismissive of it is because, I mean, it really is uh, a circle of jerks, if you get my, my meaning. And it's, it's, they don't really accomplish anything except make each other feel good. And then they go, go away with these high-minded ideals that never get implemented. In Europe, to some degree, they can implement some of these things uh, because the European governments are structured way more autocratically than this would. Even the democratic governments of Europe are more autocratic than the American government, which because of its divisions between a federal government and state governments and the control of the Supreme Court and the like, it's just kind of impossible to do all the stuff they want. But make no mistake about it, uh, their central focus right now is climate change. And the Democrats already, they would be embracing that without the World Economic Forum. At least with the World Economic Forum, we can understand what's coming. This this is, uh, what's her name? Um uh, Ursula von, uh, von der Leyen or whoever, the, one of the economic leaders of Europe, listen to this. The next decades will see the greatest industrial transformation of our times, maybe of any times. And those who develop and manufacture the technology that will be the foundation of tomorrow's economy will have the greatest competitive edge. So the scale of the opportunity is clear for all to see. She's the president of the European Commission. Um, not exactly comparable to president of the United States. She's the, the president of the bureaucrats of Europe and, and guides over the politicians, of the various countries there. She used to be a German politician, German defense minister. And you can see that um, she's big on innovation and, and she wants climate change innovation. She wants government subsidies towards climate innovation. Well, I mean, they would be doing this whether Davos exists or not, the world governments, the United States government has been doing this. Even Republican administrations have been doing this. Uh, I just, I, I don't have the fear and loathing of Davos. I, these are these are poor, pitiful, rich people who have no God and need one, who have to console each other because they keep failing at what they want to do. Hello there, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. I guess it would help, actually, if I got into the call screening program, which I totally forgot to do. I am a professional. There are just some days you'd be hard-pressed to realize it. <laughs> One of those days, I've been busy. Now, we got to go to other stuff, too. Um, Joe Biden, God bless him. He's at it again. Uh, I, I, so he says this line. 
And Joe Biden thinks this is a is a useful line. And I, I I'm going to play the line. I want you to hear it for yourself. And then we must discuss. Ban the number of bullets and go in a magazine. There's no, no need for any of that. I love my right wing friends who talk about the tree of liberty is water with the blood of patriots. Give me a if you need to work about taking on the federal government, you need some F-15s. You don't need an AR-15. I'm serious. Think about it. I'm serious. Think about it. Um, one word, Mr. President. Okay, two words. Two words, Mr. President. I, I just just two words. The Taliban. Seems like they beat us. It. it, it I mean, I, I'm sorry, but. They're in Afghanistan, and we're not. They didn't have F-15s. They had Kalashnikovs or whatever. Um, they had they had AR-15s. They had uh, well, they had grenade launchers and all sorts of other stuff. But they didn't have a they didn't have F-15s and drones and all of the advanced weaponry of the American military. So here's the thing. Um, there's a there's a comedian. I, I really I'm not going to recommend his comedy. It's it's can be crass and vulgar for some people. And I, I'm I am mindful now these days when I say you should go watch X Y or Z. People go off and do it, and then they come back and they're like, I can't believe you. It had the F word in it. There was a lesbian. I I can't believe you you recommended that my family watch it. We I I knew you said that there would be some bad language, but we got the entire family together down to the three year old, and we watched the Dave Chappelle show, Mister Erickson, and the language that he says, I will have to pray for your repentance. Uh, like I, I'm I, I get it. I'm, I'm I'm just I'm. All I'm gonna say is there there's a comedian on Netflix. His name is Neil Brennan. He's actually the co-creator and co-writer of The Chappelle Show. Probably the smartest comedian. Also probably the most depressed comedian. Um, I enjoy his work because it's very, it's at a higher intellectual level. And he, his latest series on, on Netflix, he has one bit about uh, guns. And he points out, you know, the, the right-wing argument is that uh, the government, uh, the, the Second Amendment was there and to, to enable an uprising against a government should it come be necessary. And he said, we can test this theory. We're going to put a bunch of NRA guys together, uh, 15 NRA members versus two professional soldiers. And he does this mock interview with the, uh, the, the NRA members, and they're all standing around. They got their AR-15 and... Then he goes to Sergeant Major Jeremiah Johnson, and he says, "Oh, I, I, I just, I, sir, I think it's unfair. I'm, I'm, I don't have a gun. I just got a drone, got a drone, one Hellfire missile, and uh, yeah, look, look, they're all there in a cluster. All I have to do is, is press this one button, and that, that concludes the annual Americans with guns versus the military argument. Uh, we'll see you next year on Christmas Day, sort of thing. And, and it was very, very, very thoughtful, funny. And he's like, and you know, the NRA members, they're thinking, all right, next year, guys, we're going to spread out. We're not going to be in a little cluster. Um, and his point was, yeah, you're going to be hard pressed to, to fight the military. But my point is, 
they're going to be hard-pressed to get the military to turn on Americans. Joe Biden thinks it's a very clever line. But it's scoffing at the legitimate history of the Second Amendment. And he does this a lot. Uh, he, he does this so much. But also, there's more to it than that, and he has simplified it. And Joe Biden tends to do these things. He simplifies uh, all sorts of things to make himself sound superior and to take away the nuance and complexity of the argument. But while he was doing that, he also threw in several whoppers. Joe Biden yet again said he went to a historically black college in Delaware, and then he clarified that actually he, his institute, his think tank in Delaware is at an HBCU, and he went to the University of Delaware. First time he's actually clarified. But on top of that, he threw in the whopper that he is um, went to a black church when he was in middle school. He would go to a black church, which isn't true. Joe Biden claimed he would go to mass, and then he would go down the street to a black church. It's not true. No one in the congregation that he named has any recollection of this happening. Okay, let, let's just, let's let's cut to the chase here on Joe Biden. The problem with Joe Biden is that just like George Santos, he's a fabulist, but because he has a D next to his name, the media lets him get away with this stuff. And, and maybe he's not the same serial fabulist to the extent that George Santos is in one time period, 2022, but in the grand scheme of years, the 50 years Joe Biden has been in Washington, Joe Biden has been a, a serial and pervasive liar. That's just the truth whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Joe Biden has been a plagiarist. He has lied about his family. He has lied about his education. He has lied about his, his legal background. He's lied about his qualifications. He's lied about his history. He's lied about the way he grew up. He's lied about his ties to ethnic communities. Joe Biden is a serial plagiarist and a serial liar. He is a dishonest person. Everyone I know who knows Joe Biden at a personal level, says at a personal level, you can get along with him. He's a very nice guy. Everyone I know who doesn't know Joe Biden is a partisan says, how can you say he's a nice guy? Look at all the nasty things he said about other people. I, I understand. I'm just relating the fact that individuals I know who know him personally say, yeah, he and his wife are nice people at a civic, civil level. You can get along with them even if you don't care for his politics or the things he's done. But... Many of the same people who say he's a perfectly nice guy say he has always been like this. He's an exaggerator. He's a storyteller. He is, dare I use the word, a liar. And he uses his lies to puff up his own credentials. And he uses his lies to relate to people. He uses his lies to find a connection to people, which are actually the most sociopathic of all lies. To lie and claim you have something in common with people so that you seem more relatable to them. So I was talking to my buddy Hugh last night, and we were discussing uh, after he was in high school, on his way to college, he and a friend took a trip across Europe and wound up in Amsterdam and um, discovered the red light district. Nothing happened. It, it was not that exciting. And I was like, oh, the, the very first time I ever saw a, a naked woman, I apologize to those of you with, with kids. The very first time 
was the red light district in Amsterdam. I, I, I saw everything. And then I said, and I was 11. It's like, what? I thought I had heard the story. I assume you all remember the story. Some of you, well, some of you are new here. I should tell you the story. This is a true story. This is not a Joe Biden story. This is a legitimate story. When I was 11 years old, I don't think Ken is, if Ken is listening right now, maybe he's not. I, as you know, as, as Charlie Phillips, no, Charlie and Phillips, say it with me. I grew up in Dubai. <laughs> when I was 11, my parents decided I was old enough to fly back to Baton Rouge, Louisiana by myself. At the time, airline engines were not efficient enough to be able to fly nonstop from, say, Atlanta to Dubai like they are now. You had to make a multi-stop trip. But, of course, the Baton Rouge airport was too small to fly nonstop to Dubai. So we would go from Baton Rouge to either Houston, Dallas, or Atlanta. And then from one of those, we would go to Europe, typically to London, Brussels, or Amsterdam. Occasionally Paris, occasionally Frankfurt. I didn't like Brussels that much. Sabina was a terrible airline. It's gone out of business. But this particular trip, it was Dubai to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Atlanta, Atlanta to Baton Rouge. Somewhere over the Black Sea, if I remember right, it was like we birds in the engine something and um, then something else happened. Ultimately, the engine caught on fire. And there was a cascading effect, and uh, the plane was fine, but it, we didn't have wheels. Something happened to the hydraulics. The flaps were kind of messed up. Uh, the wheels would not drop, and we had to land in Austria. Not even in like uh, Salzburg, not even the capital. We had to belly flop onto a foamed runway. And at the end of the runway, go down the slides. Now, the plane it was not going to fly again, but we were eventually able to get our luggage and stuff off the plane. And so there was a, uh, what was his name? Mickey Lauda. He was a famous race car driver, and he had uh, a charter air service, and they happened to have a DC-10 that was parked at this airport and KLM, the Royal Dutch airline was able to um, charter this DC 10. Once they cleaned up the runway and we're good to go, uh, we, we left and we got, I had a multi-hour layover in Amsterdam and we got there and uh, I booked it. I mean, I knew where I was going. Listen, I realize I'm 11 years old, but I've been flying since I'm five years old. I know how to get through international airports. To this day, I can navigate Charles de Gaulle and all these other airports. I'm 11 years old. I know how to get through the Schiphol Airport because I'm there like every five months. Away I go. I get to the plane. They literally close the door in my face. I have to pull a little band back because they want to know where my parents are. I'm trying to get on the uh, get on, and and I pull my my wristband, my shirt sleeve up, and there it is, the little wristband that you wear when you're traveling without your parents. They're like, oh, well, where's where's your your chaperone? And I'm trying to explain. I was on the plane, and the plane crashed, and and now I'm here. And the, I mean, the plane—they're literally—they're moving the the little little tunnel back away. And this is my flight. I got to well, miss my flight. So then I have to go figure out, as an 11 year old, how to stay in Amsterdam overnight. And they send me away with somebody, and I'm trying to explain the flight setup and. 
Well, there's a Jehovah's Witness conference. To this day, I still think there's like an international Jehovah's Witness conference in Amsterdam. I'm telling you, this is a true story. I, I promise you on the Bible, this is a true story. All the hotels around Schiphol Airport are filled up with Jehovah's Witnesses. So they find a Crown Plaza hotel. I think it was a Crown Plaza. It's been a while. And it is on the edge of the red light district in Amsterdam. And so they park me there. I'm in a, got a driver in a car. They whisk me off to the Crown Plaza. I'm 11. And now I can't sleep. So I get to wander Amsterdam. I didn't know what the red light district was. Oh, I found out real quick what it was. I got an education as an 11-year-old and then finally went back and went to sleep. And at some point in the night, hotel employees uh, fell on the bed taking their clothes off. And I woke up screaming bloody murder, um, scared me. And I couldn't go back to sleep after that. They ran out of the, they, I guess, assumed there was no one in this hotel room. And they were going to, um, well, do what they do with the red light district. And the next day, they picked me up in a limo. And literally, they like wheeled me through the security gate at the airport to the 747 and made me get on. I got to sit on the top. Only time I've ever sat at the very tip top of a 747. They put me up there. I got to Atlanta. I swear to you, everyone, my parents knew on the eastern seaboard of the United States was there to make sure I had all fingers, toes, and virginity. And then I, I made it to Baton Rouge. It was the most exciting plane trip of my life, I do believe. True story. That's a true story. Joe Biden would tell the same story, and it wouldn't be true. And he would tell it to, to a group of pilots to try to relate to them about his adventures in, in flying. He can't just tell his story. He can't just tell his life. He's got to he's got to make it up. And that that's part of the problem with Joe Biden is you can't trust him. And, and you know, you, you can say and, and I, I, I I'm, I'm sure someone will say, but Trump, but Trump, but Trump. But he's not the president of the United States right now. Joe Biden's the president of the United States. And for all of the faults and foibles of Donald Trump, Joe Biden promised to be different. Joe Biden promised he wasn't going to be a liar. Joe Biden promised he would be transparent. Joe Biden made all of these promises, and he breaks all of them. He hasn't been transparent with us with the documents. He hasn't been honest with us with his wild stories. And Joe Biden is the president who promised to do better, and he's no different than the other guy. And as I long predicted during the years of Trump— the Democrats will never admit he is their Donald Trump, except not as competent. Now, I want to talk to you about a competent company. It's called Eden Pure. They make this fantastic air purifier called the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. You can wipe out odors in your house. It'll get rid of the dust and the pollen if you want, but I use it as an odor eliminator. Litter box odors, pet odors, smoke odors, musty odors, uh, you know, the, the the noxious odors that sometimes are in house. I got a buddy of mine right now. He took advantage of this Eden Pure 3 pack by going to EdenPureDeals.com and putting in Eric 3 as the discount code. He and his family, they bought a lake house. The family they bought it from had smoked all their lives in this house. He says it kind of reeked even changing the carpets and stuff. And so when they leave, they fire up the Eden Pure thunderstorms and come back, turn them off, and, and they say it's working. It's actually making a real influence. Um, so what you need to do is go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com, and put in the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, and you can get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your office or your basement or your RV. If you got an RV, you probably want one of these. You can use it as a, with a USB cord or just plug it into an outlet. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget 
You can always sign up for my daily email by texting DATA to 33777. And if you get the show notes, you get 15% discount, get the show notes. You get the basic email for free. The show notes, well, it's part of the, the subscription. Today, I actually wrote a piece, and let me just talk about it real quick here because you should know about it. After the election, I was pretty open. I believe pretty strongly Rona McDaniel, the chair of the RNC, needed to uh, not run again, go away. Uh, She's been there quite a while now, second longest serving RNC chair in history, and actually has the worst uh, win-loss record as an RNC chair for that period of history. I have spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people familiar with the inner workings of the RNC and its operations and what it does, and I've got to conclude my original reaction was wrong. I mean, I've talked to governors, congressmen, senators, uh, RNC committeemen and women, uh, and consultants on the outside, and they said, actually, she, you kind of want to keep her there because she's one of the very few people who's been able to bridge the gap between people who don't like Trump and people who do like Trump. She has purged the consultant class from the RNC, which has been one of the biggest problems. In fact, it was my chief grievance against the RNC for years was they kept the same consultants on over and over and over. And she's actually gotten rid of them and brought in a professional class of operator who operates out of the RNC. And I didn't even realize she had done that. And that's something I've wanted for years. But more importantly, they said, I'm looking at the RNC chair's role as wrong. It's not to win elections. It's to raise money and manage the presidential cycle and the calendar and and the debates. And of that, she's done a remarkable, remarkable job. So as a result, I highly recommend at this point she stay on. I was wrong uh, and glad to have had those great conversations with people. And like they said, you can't blame her for being unable to get a bad candidate elected. Uh, Donald Trump was unable to get some of his people elected. Why blame her when, in fact, she raised a lot of money and uh, was able to bypass a lot of crazy state parties to try to mitigate damage? She's very good at that. So uh, I have reversed my opinion on Rona McDaniel.